Welcome to the Unionville Chads Ford School District Podcast. I'm Bob Sage, School Board Director, representing Pocopsa, Newland, and Birmingham Townships. Today is December 27, 2017, and my guest today is Rick Hostetler, who's Unionville Chads Ford Supervisor of Buildings and Grounds. In our conversation today, we will hear Rick's story about how he came to this area as a young boy, his experiences growing up in the area, starting his career, how he came to Unionville Chads Ford, and how his team of dedicated employees keep the Unionville Chads Ford building and grounds in tip-top shape. Welcome, Rick. Bob, thank you very much. Appreciate it. So, Rick, uh, before we get into your personal story, perhaps you can tell us about the Buildings and Grounds Department and what you all do. Okay, uh, just a real quick overview. Uh, we have six buildings in our district, the four elementary buildings, middle school and high school. We have a transportation department and a maintenance department. Uh, those buildings consist of approximately 900,000 square feet. Uh, our buildings sit on about 275 acres. Uh, we have a staff of about 55, or not about, we have a staff of 55. Uh, so all of this is maintained by 55 very dedicated and quality employees. I've said many times at board meetings that uh, our, our staff is second to none and I truly believe that. Well, it sounds like a big job. It, it is. It, it it has its moments for, for sure. But again, you know, I couldn't do it out. Couldn't do it without everybody that we have on staff here. So, Rick, let's start uh, maybe by going back in time to 1955. Uh, tell us, how did you come to be in the Kennett Square area? Okay, we we talked briefly the other day, but uh, I, we came here in 1955. Uh, my family is from Western Pennsylvania. I was only about two and a half years old when we moved here. Uh, moved here from Western PA because the coal mines in Western PA were closing down. My father worked in the coal mines and was suddenly out of work as the mines were closing. So we moved to e the eastern part of the state for employment for my father. How did you pick Kennett Square? Well, you didn't pick it, but how did your father pick Kennett Square? Uh, not sure exactly how he picked Kennett Square, but uh, he found found a job uh, working for Highland Dairies, which at the time was located up on Route 82 between Unionville and Coatesville, and uh, found a home in Kennett Square. So we settled in, in Kennett, and he began working for Highland Dairies. And then uh, what do you remember about your school days? Where did you go to school? How, how was that for you? I went to school at Kennett Consolidated School District. Uh, don't remember anything uh, specific, you know, out, out of the ordinary. I would say that uh, I was a an average individual in in the public school system. Uh, played sports at Kennett. Uh, went through the academic program. Uh, had a lot of friends, and just really enjoyed the the area and enjoyed my time in school. And when did you graduate from Kennett High School? Graduated a long, long time ago. I graduated in 1971. Okay. And then what did you do after you finished up there? Uh, when I finished at Kennett, I went to Williamson Trade School. At the time, it was called Williamson Free School of the Mechanical Trades. Today, it's known as Williamson College of the Trades. Uh, at the time in my high school career, I was actually looking into various fields and actually considered electrical engineering. I uh, was actually accepted at Drexel University in their electrical engineering program. And the summer between my junior and senior year, I uh, was fortunate enough to get a job working for a contractor doing carpentry work and absolutely loved it. 
So changed my mind midstream and instead of going to Drexel, I went to Williamson Trade School and uh, took up the carpentry trade. Okay, that's an interesting story because I think even today, many young people think that college and academics is really their only choice after high school, but trades are still a very good choice for many people. I, I certainly believe they are, uh, you know, and, and being head of facilities here at Unionville, uh, sometimes that can be a challenge, finding the qualified people. Uh, there, there has often been the push for academics and, and computer-oriented uh, education, but there's still the need for the hands-on, for the tradesmen, and I'm very happy that that's what I chose. Right, and those jobs can't be done from China. That's exactly correct. <laughs> So, Rick, uh, after you finished your trade school, uh, what did you do next? After I finished trade school, I, I was actually working for a contractor while in trade school. Uh, continued on with him when I got out of trade school. Worked for a couple other contractors. Uh, actually had my own construction business for a few years. And then I went to work for uh, Kendall Crossland's Corporation, working in their uh, maintenance department. I uh, was a maintenance supervisor at the Crosslands, uh, portion of Kendall Crosslands. And from there, came to Unionville Chadsport School District in 1991. Oh, great. Now, somewhere along the way there, I think you also met your wife. Can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, actually, uh, my wife and I were childhood friends. My family and my wife's family were very good friends. We lived about a block apart growing up, and my wife will happily tell you that uh, I pretty much ignored her as kids, <laughs> but uh, after after trade school, uh, my wife and I began dating. Again, we had known each other for years, began dating, and uh, we were married in 1977. Oh, great. Well, tell us the story of how you came to be at Unionville Chadsford. What led you here? What was interesting about the opportunity when you first started? Well, when I first started, uh, I was working at Kendall Crosslands. Uh, was I guess somewhat looking for some growth, hadn't, hadn't really been actively looking, uh, but my wife actually noticed a, a, an advertisement in the newspaper for a position here at Kendall Crosslands, and she was the one that suggested that I apply. So I applied at the time, I was not successful in that endeavor, and about a year or two later, a uh, job opening came up again, and I applied and was actually hired as the maintenance supervisor here. So rejected once but not to be denied, you, you applied a second time <laughs> and, and landed the job. Exactly, my, my perseverance paid off. And it sounds like your wife was instrumental in, uh, in getting you here actually. Very much so. So you joined uh, Unionville Chadsford in 1991? 1991, yes. Okay, and then uh, tell us about how your career progressed uh, once you arrived here. So as I said, I, I started uh, with Unionville as the day-to-day -day maintenance supervisor, uh, working under Tom Marinelli, who was the one who hired me at the time. Uh, about a year and a half uh, after I was here, Mr. Marinelli uh, went on to become principal at Hillendale Elementary School, and uh, I was then hired to be the buildings and ground supervisor for the district, and have been in that position for about 24 years. So thinking back over that long period, you must have seen a lot of interesting things and a lot of changes in the district, including some expansion. What, are some, what was the district like 24 years ago? I've only been in the area you know, 10 years. Uh, 
Tell us what it looked like in 1991. Mm, uh, that's interesting. Uh, in 1991, uh, Pocopson Elementary did not exist. The high school was much smaller than, than it is today. When I came in 1991, they were just beginning a construction uh, addition renovation project here at the high school. Uh, I, I saw that project through, but uh, the high school existed uh, in that state. Uh, the middle school did not have uh, the addition along Route 82 at that point. Uh, Unionville and Chadsford were the older buildings, as was Hillendale. Uh, again, Pocopson was not in existence. So I've seen two additions to the high school uh, building itself. I've seen two additions to the middle school. I've seen renovations to Unionville Elementary, Chadsford Elementary. I've seen Pocopson uh, be constructed. I've seen the new transportation facility constructed and the new maintenance facility constructed. And I assume when you say you've seen it, you've actually had a lot to do with those designs and those plans and the bidding and seeing that all through to the last screw being driven into, a, mm -hmm. into the building. I, I have. Uh, the entire, uh, all of our staff take a, a vested interest in, in the design when we're looking at a new facility, so we were all very active uh, in the design and overseeing the construction. Great. Let's talk a bit more about facilities. I think, um, as I think about myself and my interaction with the, with the buildings and as a parent, I think we many of us take the facilities for granted because they're always there, they're always in great shape, they're always open, but it's probably not quite that easy to keep them going. Uh, tell us about what the facilities department has to do on a day-to-day, week-to-week, and year-to-year basis to make that happen. Uh, it, it, actually, that's a great question because it does take a lot to keep our facilities uh, looking and functioning the way they are. Uh, as I mentioned, we have a great facility staff. Uh, each of our buildings has a custodial staff, head custodian, and, and a staff of custodians in each building. Uh, we have a great maintenance staff uh, led by Dave Talley, Jim McClymans. Uh, we have a great grounds, grounds crew led by Paul Heron, and their diligence every day, keeping the building clean, keeping an eye out for needed repairs, listening to uh, comments from others when repairs are needed, responding to work requests as, as quickly as we can, and just monitoring our buildings on a daily basis. Uh, it does take a lot to keep them functioning, and it take, takes a lot of time and a lot of people. Rick, when I've heard you talk about facilities previously, you talked about not only keeping them operational and safe, but also keeping our buildings healthy. What does it mean to have a, a healthy building? <clears throat> Well, primarily keeping a healthy building is trying to make sure that our staff and students stay healthy. So uh, the, the daily cleaning, uh, the daily sanitizing of uh, various surfaces, desktops, cafeteria tables, doorknobs, handrails, things of that nature, uh, all of that is done on a daily or weekly basis. Uh, during cold and flu season when there's a higher instance of illness, we try to step up our efforts and, e and do even more. Uh, it, if there's a particular illness that's going around at a given time, uh, we, we take that into consideration and we modify our efforts accordingly. Uh, we try to make, make sure that uh, our sports teams, our locker rooms, our sports facilities are clean. That's an area where uh, illness can sometimes be an issue. 
Uh, indoor air quality is, is always a concern, so keeping our filters changed, keeping our air changes uh, happening in the building uh, as, as necessary. Uh, so all of that goes into make, make, making sure that we maintain a clean and healthy environment. What are some of the biggest challenges you had to deal with in facilities over your years? The biggest challenges? Well, probably uh, a, a couple things. Any of our construction projects uh, are, are always a challenge. Uh, going back to some of the earlier projects, we've had some real challenges with uh, some contractors and, and maybe not, maybe having some contractors that uh, didn't perform as well as we, we would like, so we, you know, we would have issues uh, in trying to get a project completed on time, uh, making sure that the quality is there. Those are, you know, a couple of the uh, ongoing issues over the years. But probably the two biggest challenges as far as individual circumstances. Uh, just a few years ago, in 2015, we came in on a Monday morning to find that we had a plumbing leak that had been occurring since Friday. In which building? Uh, that was here in the high school. Uh, the plumbing leak was on the third floor. And by Monday morning, as you can imagine, we had water damage on the third floor, the second floor, and the first floor. Uh, that was about, that was probably mid-July, so it uh, took quite a, quite a bit of effort uh, from our custodial maintenance staff to get things cleaned up and, and back in operational order and then the follow-up to get all of the necessary repairs completed and to be ready for the opening of school, which we were. Uh, and then the other uh, significant time was uh, in 2009 we actually had a fire in the gymnasium. Uh, it was right where the uh, hallway between the gymnasium and the auxiliary gym at the time. This the, is again the in the high school? Different. Again at the high school. Uh, and late afternoon, uh, fire was discovered and we had some fairly significant damage to the gymnasium, the auxiliary gym, and the connecting corridor. And that was quite a challenge to uh, get it cleaned up, get the uh, necessary bidding documents put together in emergency fashion, uh, get a contractor on site and have the repairs made. We were not able to use the gym at the opening of school, but we did open school on time and the gymnasiums became available uh, probably two to three weeks after school opened. Yeah, I just think about my own house and how many uh, maintenance and repair challenges I've had. For example, right now, my, one of my furnaces is I have two furnaces, but one is out, so the upstairs is kind of cold. Uh, I know there are lots of different things that can go wrong in a big school, but it seems like we're always on top of that and can always open the building. Uh, tell us about your preventative maintenance. What do you do to make sure things aren't going to suddenly break down on us and have us not be able to use a building? Well, first and foremost, we, we do have the emergencies. I'm not going to say that we don't. Uh, we, we've been able to overcome some emergencies and open a building on time and uh, sometimes our staff and students do not even know that that emergency existed. But from a preventative maintenance standpoint, uh, we started a program about 10 or 15 years ago and we hired a preventative maintenance mechanic, a gentleman by the name of Bruce Wrigley, and a, a key part of his uh, job responsibility is to check HVAC equipment on a regular basis. 
Uh, we're checking belts for uh, need of replacement or wear and tear or adjustment, lubricating motors and bearings and other aspects, changing filters, uh, just monitoring the overall operation of given pieces of equipment. Uh, we have the ability to check our buildings remotely, so we can check our buildings remotely, make sure uh, systems are functioning the way they should. If we have exceptionally hot or exceptionally cold weather, uh, we will uh, monitor the buildings pretty consistently to make sure that uh, nothing's going wrong. And our preventative maintenance helps us to uh, identify problems early and, and deal with them before they become an emergency. I would guess that's a pretty cost-effective program to have an on-staff mechanic doing preventative maintenance because when one of these systems goes out, I bet they're really expensive to repair. <laughs> that, that they are. Uh, uh, just replacing a, a motor on a major piece of equipment can run into the thousands of dollars pretty quickly. So very cost-effective, uh, and again, because it really minimizes uh, any of our emergencies and also uh, dramatically reduces uh, downtime, it's been very advantageous to have that preventive maintenance program in place. So Rick, we have, I think we have very good facilities here at Unionville Chadsford. If you look at our high school auditorium, our gymnasiums, and this space is, is a real asset for the community. Tell us about how the community can access this space and use it for community organizations, other types of meetings that aren't directly related to the schools. Okay, well first and foremost, we, we really do uh, encourage use of our facilities. We, have, we, we are the community center. Uh, there, there's not uh, other community buildings around, so we are the community center. We encourage the community to use our facilities. Uh, whether it be indoor or outdoor facilities, we have a facility scheduling software program that we use. And by going online with the uh, scheduling software, they can see what's available. They can request the use of a, of a given space for a given time. And then we have an approval process that we go through to approve uh, any of those requests. Uh, but again, we, we really encourage our community to make use of our facilities. And how uh, heavily utilized are those facilities, the fields and the gyms and the classroom space? How hard is it to get a reservation? <laughs> it can be very difficult. Uh, our facilities are used extremely heavily. Uh, the high school auditorium has become a very popular venue and it's, it is used most weekends throughout the year. We do have a number of outside groups that use it and unfortunately occasionally we have to uh, turn someone away because they are heavily used. Our gymnasiums are booked virtually every day and every weekend throughout the winter uh, during basketball wrestling season. Uh, every, every gym, every night of the week, every Saturday, some Sundays. Our, our field usage is the same way if you uh, were to try and obtain field use in spring or fall with the various sports programs between our sports programs and the community programs. Two, two heavy users are URA and Southern Chester County Soccer, both of whom we have a great working relationship with. They are, they are wonderful to work with, uh, but our fields are virtually used e every day. Well, if they're used that much, I would guess it must take uh, quite a bit of effort to keep both the gymnasiums clean, especially you know when it's snowing and people are tracking all kinds of stuff inside. 
as well as our fields, which I know when it rains or they're just, they probably take a beating. Tell us more about what we do to keep those fields in tip-top shape. Well, as far as the fields go, uh, again, uh, Paul Heron and his crew uh, do a great job. We have a, a really good program for just maintaining the, the turf on an annual basis, and that can consist of various amenities that are added to the fields periodically, aeration, overseeding, proper and, and periodic mowing. Uh, so the fields are inspected virtually on a daily basis in the spring and summer when they're heavily used. Uh, if we have too much rain, we may have to take a, a given field or a group of fields out of service in order to be sure that they're uh, playable for the future, you know, for the coming weeks and months. So it's really a very, uh, very intense program. We do some uh, soil testing periodically with Penn State, uh, but it's a, a very intense program. Again, most people don't see it happen, uh, but our fields are monitored and, and treated on a daily basis. Yeah, I know, I know that I was fairly ignorant about all this uh, science that goes into the maintaining the fields. I mean, obviously I know they're mowed, but didn't realize all the other work that's done to test the soil and decide what to add and treating for pests and taking things out of service so that they can rest. Uh, there's actually quite a bit that goes on behind the scenes. There, there is. Uh, when you talk turf management, there's a number of different uh, types of grass and turf diseases that can affect the playability of a field, the maintenance of, of, the, of the turf on the field. So that's monitored consistently. We do our, our testing. And then, there, as you say, there is the science behind it to know how to treat it for the various uh, pests or diseases that may occur and how much to treat it with and when to treat it and wh whether or not... Uh, you need to have water available at the same time. So there's a great deal of science that goes into it. Uh, our guys actually take courses uh, on an ongoing basis. They all have uh, turf management uh, licenses and uh, pesticide licenses, and it's, it's an evolving science. Rick, uh, one of the other things that facilities and, and grounds do is keep the buildings open when there's snow. Tell us about uh, what your group does when we have a storm approaching. Well, in the very simplest manner is that we, we, we do it all in-house. Uh, those that know me uh, will tell you that, I, I for one will tell you I do not like snow. <laughs> <clears throat> when snow's predicted, we are monitoring weather forecasts all night. Uh, we have a group of administrators that uh, is typically on the phone sometime after midnight uh, monitoring conditions. Uh, our first goal is always to try and open school on time. Our second goal would then be to open with a two-hour delay and then obviously the last resort would be a close for the day. So we monitor conditions and uh, if, we, if we have snow to, to be removed, custodial maintenance crew are typically brought in between 4 and 5 a.m and we do all our own shoveling, all our own plowing, and all our own salting, and again, uh, we clear the snow and we are typically ready. By the time the main roads are ready to go, we are typically ready to go here. So if you take a building like uh, Patton or say Pocopson with that long driveway up the hill, <coughs> we've got to clear all that snow, the entire driveway, the, the township or the county, they don't do anything on the school property. That's correct. Now, over the years, there have been a couple times when we've had 
very substantial snows, 20 inch snows, 20, 22 inch snows, where we've had to uh, bring in some help from a couple of the neighboring farmers who have brought in very large uh, tractors and pieces of equipment. Uh, but that is the exception rather than the rule. 99.9% uh, .9 of the time we do everything in-house. And how many plows do we have? We have approximately, I believe, seven uh, trucks with plows. We have a couple tractors. We have a number of snow blowers, and then we have a number of shovels. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. So I guess you don't sleep well when it's snowing. I do not. <laughs> uh, how has technology changed what, uh, what happens in our buildings and, and with our fields? Wow, te technology has changed a lot. Uh, Again, when, when I came here, everything was done, if you will, the old-fashioned way. Everything was manual. Uh, over the years, uh, with technology, we went into the computerized maintenance management software, the computerized facility scheduling software. All that was done by pen, pen, pen and paper previously. Uh, all of our buildings now have uh, card access, so our, our doors have electronic latches on them, uh, opened and closed by a key card. Uh, we can control when they're locked and unlocked remotely uh, via computer. Uh, all of our HVAC systems, our heating, ventilating, air conditioning systems for the district uh, are all monitored and controlled uh, via computer. So we can monitor temperatures, we can turn uh, raised raise or reduce set points in rooms. We can turn units on and off. We can turn lighting on and off, uh, all remotely. So uh, it, it's changed tremendously. All that used to have to actually go to a specific piece of equipment. Today we can monitor remotely and it's much more advantageous. Tell us a bit about building security. How do we secure our facilities? I know people that during weekdays, we have people in the building most of the time but on weekends or right now during vacation when school's out, how do we secure our buildings and uh, just make sure it's when kids are there, especially that they're, that they're safe and we, we don't have people coming in and out that we don't know about? Uh, pretty much during the school day and even non-school days, our, our goal is always to keep our buildings locked as much as possible. So during the school day, all of our buildings are locked or all of our doors are locked except for the main door to a given building. Uh, for a, a visitor to enter the building, they basically have to come in the main door. That main door leads them to and through the main office. Uh, so when they enter the main office, we use a, again, use a computerized system. Our system happens to be called the Raptor system, where they have to scan their license. And uh, scanning their license gives us an indication whether there's anything uh, in their background that we need to be concerned with, primarily when it comes to uh, child endangerment. Uh, so they scan their license and, and enter the building uh, after they get a visitor's pass uh, that way. Uh, on non-school days, again, we try to keep the buildings locked as, as securely as we can. We do keep, we will open a door if there's an athletic program going on. So once we uh, get to that point, then we, we depend on personnel. We use, uh, we have some security personnel employed by the district. We also do some contracting of security personnel. Uh, we are never, 
uh, assured 100%, but we certainly take as many steps as we can to make sure that our, our students and staff are safe. And we also have security systems and cameras at some of our buildings or all of our buildings? Uh, we do. We have uh, security cameras in, in all of our buildings now. We probably have a total of, uh, we're probably upwards of 100 cameras uh, district-wide now that monitor large portions of our campus. I remember back when I was a, a young student, uh, sometimes I'd go with my friends over to the school and you know use the soccer field or use the basketball courts. And sometimes we'd go try to you know get in the school to poke around. Mm -hmm. And I remember the doors were always locked. And so uh, I, I guess that's a good thing to keep the schools locked down. And if some students get uh, an idea of going in the building, they should know they're going to be on camera, right? Uh, it is, and, and you bring up a great point uh, as we talked about. Uh, technology earlier uh, in my early years we did have some uh, instances where people gained access to our buildings and uh, performed a little bit of vandalism if you will uh, and over the years with the uh, Im improved security with door hardware and, and all that as well as the cameras uh, we have really reduced uh, any security situations yeah, great uh, Talk to us about energy efficiency. I remember a couple of things coming before the school board, uh, for example, with LED lighting. What have we done around the district to make our facilities more energy efficient through the years? Well, certainly, uh, anytime we do a project, uh, energy efficiency is key. Uh, every, everybody's well aware that energy costs uh, have skyrocketed over the years. So a number of years ago, uh, we started with the middle school. We've uh, we've since done several of our other buildings. Uh, we've replaced a, a very good portion of our light with energy efficient lighting. Uh, we've gone from the uh, traditional, if you will, T12 uh, fluorescent lighting. Uh, some of our buildings are now T8, which is more efficient, and then some of our buildings have gone to uh, LED. So the T8 fixtures are about. 50% uh, more efficient than the T12s and the LED is about 50% more efficient than the T8. So we keep moving in, in that direction. Uh, anytime a new technology comes out in lighting, uh, we try and evaluate it. We're not necessarily uh, the first people to jump on board. We always try to evaluate and make sure that it's a, uh, it's a viable option. Uh, one, one that I mentioned that we didn't do, we've not really gone heavily into solar at this point. Uh, solar has its advantages, but there's a very large upfront cost to solar. So at least to this point in time, we've not seen it to be very uh, advantageous for us. When we do large projects with our HVAC equipment, we always look at uh, energy efficient equipment, any of our large motors. We've put variable speed drives on the motors so that we can better control the electrical usage. Uh, any of our renovations, we've done more with uh, well-insulated doors and windows. Uh, so we don't we don't always uh, we don't always go 100% to the uh, LEED certification type type of mm -hmm. uh, energy efficiency, but we always try to do what's cost-effective for our taxpayers and, and get as much energy efficiency as we can. And what's a typical uh, energy bill for the month? Uh, or maybe we don't get just one, but if you added them all up, <laughs> how much do we spend on electricity? We, we get quite a few. Uh, a 
certainly our electrical usage and our gas usage and oil uh, would vary from season to season uh, and whether the buildings are occupied or not. But in a typical month when school's in session, we spend about forty-five to $50,000 a month in electricity. All right, that's a pretty good reason to be energy efficient. Yes. Rick, how do you uh, how do we engage with with the community in terms of maintaining buildings and grounds? And the reason I asked this question in my son's uh, Cub Scout troop, I remember one year we ran, went around Pocopson and uh, you know picked up all the loose trash that was on the grounds and along uh, the major roads. And I think another year uh, we we went to Unionville and did some brushwork and cleanup around on the outside. What type of volunteerism uh, do we have in our community that helps? Um, you keep the grounds, uh, in particular, well-maintained. Well, and just what you mentioned is one of the key things. Not only the Cub Scouts, there have been other various groups uh, over the years and from year to year who uh, are looking for ways to volunteer, and we've had, had them come in and do various cleanup in our parking lots and on our grounds uh, for Martin Luther King Day a couple years ago. We had a community group that came in and did some painting in, inside of our facilities. Uh, our booster groups, our, our support groups for the sports programs are very instrumental. They've, they've done a lot over the years in helping to maintain and upgrade some of our facilities. Uh, we get a lot of support from uh, URA and Southern Chester County Soccer in helping to maintain and improve our facilities and just some of our student groups, the Earth Club and the uh, uh, National Honor Society and, and groups of that nature have also been very helpful over the years in volunteering for different uh, programs for improvement. So if anyone hears this and is looking for a volunteer opportunity, they should contact the district office and you can find something for them to do, it sounds like. Absolutely, <laughs> and we would love to entertain them. Excellent. <laughs> Rick, uh, one thing I've noticed about you through the years on school board is you pay attention to the details, especially when it comes to spending the tax taxpayer money. Um, you seem very careful about managing contractors and watching every penny. Do you, do you think that's a fair characterization of the way you operate? And, and if so, where do you think that came from? I, I think it's a fair characterization. I have uh, commented uh, in the past that I I try to spend the school district's money as I would spend my own money. And that is not necessarily to, to get what's cheapest, it's to get the best value uh, for a dollar. So when we look at various expenditures, when we're dealing with contractors, uh, and I will tell vendors, you know, I'm not only looking for price, I'm looking for service, I'm looking for quality, and I'm looking for price. And that's, that's pretty much the way I operate in my personal life. I think those kind of values uh, came from my, my parents and my family, and you know, that's, that's just the uh, values that I've always lived by and uh, try to do that here at Unionville Chad's Ford. And maybe you learned some of that. You told me earlier you worked in the mushroom houses when you were uh, a teenager uh, for 95 cents an hour, so that probably <laughs> teaches some frugality and the value of hard work as well. It, it does. My first employment was when I was still in high school. Uh, worked in uh, the local mushroom industry, Kennett Square, known for their uh, being the mushroom capital of the world. And that was my first, first job, starting out at 95 cents an hour, and uh, 
Certainly things were much cheaper to buy back then, but still at 95 cents an hour, you learn to spend your dollar wisely. Right. Well, that was maybe your first job, and this I think is your last job and, and your last year with the district because you're planning on retiring. Is that right? That's correct. I will be retiring at the end of the school year. So looking back on your years, maybe this is too big of a question and you want to <laughs> save this for your retirement party, but what are some of your uh, best memories or things you've cherished about uh, working at the district for 26 years? Now, and I guess as far as any specifics, I probably will hold off uh, till closer to my retirement, but, but I have to say uh, I truly enjoy the people that I work with. Uh, I've, I've made so many friends here over the years. Uh, it's a great district to work for, and I don't say that only because uh, I'm talking to a school board member. Uh, it, it's a great district to work for, great working conditions. Uh, we've, we've always had a great staff, and uh, the staff can make me look great, so that, that's good for me. Uh, but I just really, really, really enjoy the people that I work with. So what's next for you and your wife after Unionville Chad's Ford employment comes to an end? Nothing, nothing specific at this point. Uh, I, I have seven grandchildren that uh, I love dearly and my wife and I will spend time with the grandkids. Uh, we love camping, that's the way we, we travel a lot is camping, so my hope is to uh, do a little bit of camping. Uh, I'm a, a sports nut. Uh, particularly the Steelers, as everyone who knows me is is familiar. Uh, so I'll continue to follow sports, and I want to I want to do some volunteering, uh, do a little bit of work uh, with and for my church, and we have a, a youth uh, program in Oxford that I want to work with. So hope, hope, hoping to do some volunteer work as well. And then there's always the to-do list at home, the the honey-do list. So. Uh, that's being developed so that I have some work to do around the house. That's great. Well, I'm glad to hear you still want to volunteer. So it sounds like the next time we see snow in our future, we can give you a call and you might grab a shovel and come over and uh, help clear out the sidewalks. Uh, you can give me a call. <laughs> Whether I'll be here remains to be seen. <laughs> all right, great. Well, thank you, Rick, for a great conversation. On behalf of the school district and the board, thanks for all you do and have done for the school district throughout the years, keeping our facilities in great shape and our fields prime for all our great athletic endeavors here at the district. Uh, and, and Bob, thank you as well. And again, uh, my career is not quite over yet, but it, it's been a great career. I have no regrets and uh, looking forward to my remaining time in the district. Great. Thanks. My guest today has been Rick Hostetler. Thanks, Rick, for joining the Unionville Chadsford School District Podcast. Thank you.